people think about mentors as people to help you plan out your career, think through the next steps, all forward looking. But frankly, the most important mentors are those that can help you do the job you currently have because you don't get that next opportunity unless you are nailing your current job and your current role. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the show. So the other day I heard someone say that in order to be an original, it simply means to do things your own way on your own time. And that really resonated with me and it reminded me of today's guest. Today in the guest chair, we have Shelly Archambault. I'm excited to share Shelly's story because it's an approach to entrepreneurship that deserves more attention. Oftentimes, when entrepreneurship is discussed, including on this show, it's through the lens of someone who had this big idea and got to work to bring it to fruition. But the team and the co-founders that helped them to build that company are often not given as much of the attention. You see, not everyone with entrepreneurial instincts comes up with that million-dollar idea. Sometimes people are better on the execution front. And you need that person who can take a vision, turn it into an actual viable business with employees and all, and grow your company year over year. That's Shelly's story. Shelly is best known for being the chief executive officer of Metric Stream Inc. up until January 2018. She is somewhat of a legend in Silicon Valley, having grown Metric Stream to what it is today. She's received numerous awards also, In 2014, she was named one of the 46 most important African-Americans in technology by Business Insider. In September 2015, Shelley was recognized as the 97th most influential business leader in America. When she's not busy building software companies or sitting on Fortune 500 boards, Shelley is simply a family-oriented, energetic, goal-driven foodie. We can all stand to learn a lot from Shelly when it comes to living a full life and being an entrepreneur on our own terms. Let's get right into it. So welcome to the guest chair, Shelly. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. And you know, this is a bit of a different angle for the Side Hustle Pro show, but a really important one. You really are going to show the audience how to be an entrepreneur on your own terms. And what I love about you, you know what, before I, I ruin the surprise, I'd actually love to know, <laughs> in your own words, who is Shelly and what does she do? <laughs> okay, that's a broad question. So who is Shelly? I'm a woman who wears many hats. I've been on the business side, in the technology industry for a few decades now, building and growing businesses, both domestically as well as worldwide. Uh, Most recently, I built MetricStream, which is a governance risk and compliance software company. Uh, It's the largest independent company in its space. And I ran that for almost 15 years as we took it from almost nothing up to over 1,200 employees all around the world, hundreds of customers on every continent. So pretty, pretty exciting in the technology world. I also, another hat I wear is a corporate governance hat. I serve on the boards of Verizon as well as Nordstrom. And uh, the other hat I have is a community hat. 
I've been engaged in a number of organizations helping to support both women as well as policy through the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, through Watermark for Women Who Made Their Mark, C200, helping advance women, as well as through local charities and things that my husband and I are, are indeed sponsors of. And then the last hat I wear is my family hat. I've been married for over 33 years. I have two phenomenal, independent, and caring children and three grandchildren, if you can believe it. So oh. I've done a, a lot of things. Yes, kudos to you. So let's take it back a little bit. Um, you attended the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. When did you develop this interest in business? You know, it's really fascinating, Michaela, because I'm uh, one of those people who actually decided very early life what I wanted to do. I found in high school, I just loved getting involved in all the different clubs and organizations, whether it was the National Honor Society or the French Club or American Field Service or even Girl Scouts, you name it. And I got engaged and would end up leading it, either as the president of the organization or vice president or finance chair or something. And I really enjoyed that. And I had a guidance counselor to tell me that if I liked doing that, well, running organizations is the same thing as running a business. It's making sure that you pull people together to a common cause and objective and you execute. And I thought, well, great. If that's the case, then I want to go run a business and I want to be CEO. So I decided at the right stage of a junior in high school that I was going to go be wow. CEO of a company. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's what really drove me to the Wharton and to choosing Wharton because uh, I do a lot of research. I try to figure out how to improve my odds for success. Because as a minority female, I don't think the odds are in my favor. So how do I fix that so I have stronger odds for success? And for me, that's doing the research. It's understanding what I'm getting into before I get into it so I can take the right steps. So I picked Wharton because when I looked up at CEOs at the time, there weren't any that really looked like me. So I knew that I'd have a credibility issue. And therefore, the best way to fix the credibility issue is to get all the right uh, certificates and support and credibility behind you. So I thought coming out of Wharton would give me that kind of credibility. And I love how much of a planner you were from a young age. I've read that you said, you know, that you're a big believer in planning because people are often told and then they believe that if you work hard, you'll achieve your goals. But that just, it just, just doesn't work that way, right? Um, and no. <laughs> therefore, you have been very strategic about planning out that path. So what, what happened after Wharton? Where did you originally go and, and start your career? Sure. So coming out of Wharton, you know, back to doing the research to figure out, okay, if I want to be a CEO, what else is it about CEOs? Well, one of the things that I saw is companies that were growing quickly tended to have younger CEOs. And people that became CEOs moved quickly through organizations and also had the opportunity, it appeared, to actually run P&L, run business early in their career. So those were things that I was looking for. So I decided, okay, fine, I need to find an industry that's growing, that will have plenty of opportunity. And the industry in the early 80s was technology. Interesting, it's still the industry, but, <laughs> but that's okay. Technology was a fast-growing industry back then. So I said, great, I'm going to go into tech. And so therefore, even at Wharton, I actually took some courses. So I got some programming skills. So I at least understand what the heck I was getting into in technology. And then I looked for a company that was going to be a very strong brand and respected company. And IBM was really the leader at that day and age. So I joined IBM. 
But it's interesting, Nikayla, because here I'm coming out of Wharton and my friends are going off to be investment bankers and international finance analysts and Procter and Gamble's, you know, brand managers and all of these kinds of titles. And I started IBM in sales. And my friends are like, what are you doing? <laughs> what do you mean sales? Right? What do you mean right. sales? But, right, but I started out in sales because after doing the research, it turned out that every single CEO at IBM had started out in sales. Wow. So obviously that was the path to take if that's what I wanted to do. And I'll be candid with you. It's one of the best things I ever did. As a matter of fact, I tell people who will listen, I think everyone should have a job in sales because no matter what you do in your career, you will be selling something. Right. If not a product or an idea, you'll be selling yourself. So learning how to sell is a great skill. And especially if you're building a business, because no matter what your title is, if you are building a business and you're founding a business, you are the number one salesperson. Absolutely. It's so interesting that you say that because this is something, this is an epiphany that my husband and I have had over the last year in that we are trying to learn everything we can about sales because that is how we have to sell ourselves, right? We are the core of our business and it's something that it's framed as this icky, sleazy thing, but it's actually something that is a, is a life skill. And, you know, we wish we knew, knew that sooner. Absolutely. So now you started out at IBM and of course, you know, I, I know you spent several years there and then transitioned to a few other companies, but can you walk us through how you finally came to Metrics Stream? Certainly. So I, I got to a certain point in IBM when I realized that I probably wasn't going to be CEO of IBM and I still wanted to run a business and become CEO. So I said, you know, I've done large. I've worked for a very big companies, done a number of things, but I want to actually get involved in a growing business and truly be able to put my fingerprints right all through it. So I did my research. And when I left IBM, instead of going directly to a role where I was running a company, I actually decided to take a few steps to take a role, a seat at the table so I could understand what was so different. Because many people who leave big companies and go immediately to being CEO of small companies actually stumble or fail their first time because it's just so different. And frankly, as a minority female, I don't believe I have as many strikes at bats. So that's why I focus so hard on, okay, how can I improve my odds? What do I need to do to improve my odds to be successful the first time out? And so for this one, I said, fine, let me spend a couple of years, get a seat at the table, understand what's so different, and then go after my CEO role. And that's what I did. And it worked perfectly. So after I, I got that experience, I then went after and interviewed, et cetera, for CEO roles, and I got my CEO job. Now, this all sounds, it sounds easier than I know it was, right? Like I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've talked about networking, you've talked about mentorship. How did that influence and, and help you along the, the path to CEO? All along the way. So, yes, it's important to put a plan in place. It's important to execute that plan. But you also need to have the right help and support and you need to take the help and support and you need to listen. So mentors played a big role. Probably the first big aha moment was when somebody turned me down. Hmm. So here I was in my career, early in my career at IBM. And I say early, um, probably five years in, something like that. And 
But the good news is I was doing well and I was on a, you know, high potential track, which was great. So one of the things that IBM decided is that people who are in that category should all have mentors. So they decided in their wisdom to let the, um, these employees actually select who they'd like their mentor to be. So I said, great. So I got the opportunity to pick a mentor. So I picked a gentleman by the name of Roland Harris. Roland was a branch manager and I knew him and he seemed to have a, he seemed to like me. He, he had great ideas. He was really a very thoughtful executive strategy and all that. And I was like, I really would love to have Roland be officially my mentor. So I put his name down. Well, two days later, I got a call. Shelly, it's Roland. And I said, hi, Roland. And he says, you put my name down to be your mentor. No, hello. No, how are you? Jumps right in there, right? And you know what? He doesn't sound very pleased about it. And I said, yes, I did, Roland. I thought that you liked me and that this was, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. And he says to me, Shelly don't put me down. You've already got me. Put someone else down. You want as many people supporting you as possible. Nice. And I went, oh, oh, okay. So I took that one piece of advice that early in my career. And frankly, I put it on steroids. I spent the rest of my career constantly adopting mentors. And it served me very well. Because as it turns out, most people think about mentors as people to help you plan out your career, think through the next steps, all forward looking. But frankly, the most important mentors are those that can help you do the job you currently have. Because you don't get that next opportunity unless you are nailing your current job and your current role. And it also turns out that usually whatever role you have, someone else has done it. Maybe not in the exact same industry, maybe not in the exact same way, but other people have been through this path before. So why not find them, leverage their knowledge so that you can skip over half the mistakes as you are building up your own knowledge and capability. Right. So mentors have played a huge role. Do you have any tips for how to adopt these mentors, as you say? I mean, you know, some of these people are extremely busy. And when you hear the word mentor nowadays, some people actually uh, shrink because they it just seems like a lot of work. It seems like people just try to take from them rather than have it be a mutually beneficial and valuable relationship. Absolutely. So and that was my what you just described was my experience. I'm like, okay, fine. I go out there and ask people, oh, will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? And the answers are, uh, no. You can see them visibly, right, backing yeah, off of yeah. you. And I real and I re- and I realized, okay, fine. This isn't the approach. So what I just started doing was instead of asking people to be my mentors, I just started treating them that way. And I'd start with very simple things. So for instance, if Nikayla, let's say you were somebody that I wanted to be my mentor, when I saw you. Right? I would come up with some very simple question that you can answer with literally no thought on your part, right? Something that's just very easy based upon what you've done. So I come up to you and say, Michaela, I'm trying to build a website and I'm thinking about this company or that company. Are you, have you heard of either of them or do you one you think you might, I might talk to? Well, because you're in this business, that's a very easy question for you to answer. So you'll answer it. Didn't take any time off you, right? Right. Then I respond a week later and say, Michaela, thanks so much. Oh my goodness. I now am using so-and-so and I've been able to kick off this plan and da, da, right? All these good things. You read this note and you think, huh, you know, I feel pretty good. I helped Shelly out, right? 
And so you say, wonderful. Then the next time I ask you a question, and it might be email or something else, you're more likely to actually take a minute to answer it. Right? Right. Because I've now developed a little bit of a symbiotic activity. Well, that's what I do. And then slowly and over time, they get to be, you know, bigger and, and broader issues. So I kind of reel you in. But the other thing that happens, and I'm constantly feeding back, right? Constantly feeding back. So that people feel that they're now invested in me. But the other thing that happens is then as I do well, and I actually get some notoriety for it or some recognition or promotions, when that happens, you now feel good. Right. Oh, did you see what happened to Shelly? Oh, I've been giving her some advice. <laughs> you can now take credit for yes. me. <laughs> so that's how you adopt mentors. And before you know it, people will claim you as somebody that they mentor, even though you never, ever ask them. That is like some of the best advice I've ever heard on mentorship. And, and I really thank you for sharing that because, um, you know, it's something you hear the blanket advice over and over again, but it's like no one is saying yes <laughs> to you just going up to them yeah. and asking them. So thank you. Right. But I will. But one thing I want to tell you, the key is you have to make sure that you play your part and your part is you have to feed back. Did you take the advice? Did you not? And if you didn't, you have to have a good reason why you didn't. And if you did, what happened? If you just reach out blindly every six months or every eight months, that's not a symbiotic relationship. That is a one-way relationship. Right. So there is a big role that you play in fostering and keeping that going. It's just like any other relationship. It has to be two-way. Mm-hmm. Now I want to transition a bit to your approach to entrepreneurship. I think it's so unique in that we tend to do ourselves a disservice in looking at entrepreneurship through one singular lens. And especially, I'm sure you must see this in Silicon Valley of just startup culture. But your approach in building Metric Stream is something that you don't often see. I certainly did not see that before because you didn't come up with the company, but you built the company. So can you share more of your perspective on how your path aligns with entrepreneurship? Absolutely. So entrepreneurship, you're right. When people think of entrepreneurs, they think of people who actually come up with the initial ideas. You have an idea, ping, and then you go after it and you build it out. And that's terrific. But frankly, I'm not the idea person. I am a person that can take an idea and figure out how to go make it work. So I wanted to indeed build a business and build businesses, but I needed to start with something. So with MetricStream, MetricStream was a company that a lot of investment had gone into, top tier firms, Einer Perkins was one of the key investors. And this was an opportunity to take a company that already existed but that was struggling and help it find its footing and build it and make it successful. So entrepreneurship can be both sides, both coming up with the idea, but can also be being able to take an idea and actually build something out of it. Now, how did that initial first few years go? And then what went into you transforming Metric Stream into what it is today? I understand you had year over year sales growth. Like this is just unbelievable. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you, it was hard work. So you have to picture this. When I was hired to be CEO of the company, the company was actually had invested a lot of money and they had some really interesting technology. 
but they didn't have much in the way of sales. <laughs> they didn't have much in the way of customers in terms of a, a go forward path. So they were struggling and they were spending significantly more money than they were actually bringing in through customers. So if everything continued the way it was going, this company was going to go out of business, not actually grow and thrive. So the first few years were all about stemming the losses, the figuring out, okay, how do we indeed reduce the losses? How do we figure out what we can do? How do we position the company to actually put it on a growth path? And let me share with you, Nikayla, how I think about strategically these kinds of problems. And frankly, whether it's business or personal. So here I am, right? The company has big challenges. Have to figure out how we get it fixed and move forward. So the first thing I did was to set a goal. And my goal was I wanted to see MetricStream become a growing, thriving company and solve real problems for businesses. All right? That was a very high umbrella goal, but that was the goal. So then, number two, I have to focus on determine what needs to be true for me to achieve that goal. So it needs to be true about MetricStream for me to actually make it this growing, thriving company. And for me, it was, all right, I have got to figure out key problems that businesses have that MetricStream technology can be used to solve. And then once you figure out what indeed the truth has to be in terms of the goal, then you put a plan in place. Say, fine, how do I do that? And the way I did that was I went out and I talked to people. I talked to customers. I talked to investors. I talked to thought leaders to figure out what were the big problems in the marketplace. And this was back in you know, the early 2000s. And you had Sarbanes-Oxley and you had Enron and WorldCom and you had a lot of compliance issues because right. governments were putting huge regulations on companies. So we decided to go after compliance and risk, helping companies manage compliance and risk, leveraging our technology. So then we had to put a plan in place to make all that happen. So it's first, you got to get the technology to meet the need and solve the problem that you want. Then you've got to figure out how you go get your first, I call them cowbell customers. Customers that you could literally put a cowbell on, shake the bell and say, if I can do it for Citigroup or UBS <laughs> yeah. or Johnson & Johnson, right, then I can do it for you. So we put a plan in place to get our first big customers. And once we did that, then it's great. Now we've got to create a brand and we actually launched a website so that people in compliance and risk could come to us by looking for content and issues. And so we could find who our target people are to sell to. Uh, so we just went through this whole process, right? The goal, then what has to be true, and then putting plans in place to make that true, and then executing every step in a way that's consistent with the plan. So when it came to building out the company, once we got the product, we got our initial customers going, then we started doing marketing, then we started hiring people. And trust me, when you're building a company, you know, people like to say doing things just in time. Mm -hmm. When you're building a company, you're always just late. <laughs> uh, because you always want to make sure you're either getting the money in or something happening before you make the investment. Right. Like you wait till the very last minute to make that investment. And so you have to be comfortable living on the edge because that's absolutely what you're doing. You're living on the edge. Yes. And everybody's <laughs> playing whatever role is required to get it, to get it done. It was interesting. As a result of that approach, we actually developed a culture at MetricStream where there were four key elements. The first is customer focus, Okay. right? We're here for the customers. We're solving customer problems. Second was teamwork. 
And that doesn't mean just being nice, but we've got to be able to count on each other right. to get things done, right? And to execute. Third was never say die. <laughs> we were going to figure out <laughs> how to get whatever it was done when it needed to be done, right? Yeah. In whatever way possible. And then the last one was innovation, right? We're a technology company. We want to make sure we're bringing innovation, not just to the product, but to everything we do and how we approach the market. And one of the areas I'm probably most proud of from an innovation standpoint was when we launched complianceonline.com. And this was back in, oh goodness, probably 2005, 2006, where we launched a website because we had trouble figuring out who our customers were, who Mm -hmm. wants to buy our product. Mm -hmm. So we said, instead of trying to find them, why don't we let them find us easily? So we created a website called complianceonline.com and we aggregated content and then we offered mm. training and then people started coming and now we could see who's coming and what they're looking at and what they're looking for. And it was almost like customers raising their hands saying, I'm over here. Right. Here I am. Uh, right. It was content brilliant. marketing is so awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. So all of that helped, but it was doing things like that all along the way to be able to build the company and then expand the company on a global basis. Now, had you launched this content marketing engine before you brought on the Cowbell customers or was that after? Actually, it was at the, it was really at the same time. Okay. So as we were going after our first set of customers, we started launching this website. Got it. Because I'm curious to know when you, in your early days, how did you land those huge names when, you know, you didn't have the testimonials yet? Uh, You're right. So you do it in a couple of ways. One, relationships. So you try to find people, you know, you have an ecosystem and we had an ecosystem. We had investors, we had people on our board. We frankly had ourselves, you know, I'd spent years working with large companies uh, when I was at uh, IBM. So we leveraged all the relationships that we had to get introductions. All we needed was an open door. And then once we got the open door for the first set of customers, she put together proposals that they can't turn down because a referenceable customer is worth its weight in gold. Mm. So you give them a break, right? You give them a discount. You offer some things for free because the value they will bring you will pay for itself over and over and over again going forward. Now you have to have a good product. Of course. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. You have to, you have to have a good product. You actually solve their problem. But once that happens, then it works. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial, and my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. As side hustlers, we're in the business of turning our ideas into value. 
The thing is, we need time to cultivate fresh ideas, which is exactly where our sponsor FreshBooks can help. FreshBooks makes cloud accounting software for creative professionals that's so straightforward to use. You'll save hours every week and have more time to let your creativity flourish. If that's not enough incentive, the FreshBooks platform has been rebuilt from the ground up. They've taken simplicity and speed to an entirely new level and added powerful new features. I can't cover them all, but sending a branded invoice in under 30 seconds and enabling online payments in two clicks is a good place to start. There's also a new projects feature where you can invite employees or contractors to collaborate and easily share information, files, and updates. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now would be the time to try it. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all my listeners. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash sidehustlepro and enter sidehustlepro in the how did you hear about us section. Now, you are very transparent also about, you know, the sacrifices it took to get to this level. So now you're CEO, you're also married with two children and your husband, you and your husband made intentional life choices to support this career trajectory. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, I can. But I'm going to correct you on one point. Sure. I actually don't like the word sacrifice. Ah. Because to me, when you, when you say sacrifice, it means I'm doing something for somebody else. And frankly, at the end of the day, you're not doing things really for somebody else. You really are doing it for you. Uh, so instead of calling it a sacrifice, which puts weight on the other person, if I sacrifice something for you, then suddenly like you're beholden, right? Right. Um, so I prefer making conscious choices. I prefer intentional trade-offs, right? All those words are fine. So yes, we made very intentional choices. Uh, we definitely made trade-offs. And the way we thought about it was really going back to the point I said before, you know, so my husband and I sat down and talked about what were our collective goals together. And he knew I wanted to be a CEO and he was absolutely supportive of that. We knew we wanted to have kids. We knew we wanted a number of things. So how were we going to make that happen? What needs to be true, right, for all of that to happen? And we talked about it. And for us, it was around the child care. It was going to, we had to be mobile. Most people who are on the CEO track have to move. So is that going to be okay? And we made choices and decisions to give us the flexibility. One of which was after uh, the first few years of nannies and au pairs, my husband stayed home. He indeed retired early from his job and he was home raising the kids so we could move all over the world in support of career. Absolutely. Made other, I'll call it intentional choices all along the way to try to help us best optimize the life that we were trying to have. Kudos to you for being able to educate and lead your family in a way where everyone felt supported. But I know there had to be some some blunders and challenges along the way. So looking back, is there anything that you would do differently? Uh, you know, doing things differently is a tough statement. And let me explain why. I'm a very spiritual person and I believe that as a result of everything we've done, we turn into the people that we are. So if you change something in the past, you will change, therefore, the, the future and, and the current. I am very happy with my life and with my family and, therefore, am happy with overall decisions. Now, did I make the best decisions all the time? The answer is no. <laughs> so I would definitely have advice for others on what not to do. Um, for instance, if you think about, so, Shelley, what, what, what does that mean? 
so one of them is I chose to, let's see, I chose to commute um, when Kathleen was in high school. Um, so she was in high school and our son was in junior high and I commuted to Silicon Valley. Now, I would do that all over again. It was the right thing to do. But what I would improve upon is actually try to increase even more the communications that I had with the kids when I was doing that. You know, we had, um, I put in place a, um, I'll call it a, a policy for lack of a better word, where if they, if they needed me, they just called me. And if I was in the middle of something and I didn't answer, then if it was really important to them, because they knew that meant I was actually tied up because I would answer if I could, then they call back and then I would answer right away. Um, but if they didn't, then I would call them. So I was trying to make myself available. But I would tell you, hindsight, you know, we, I think we drifted apart a little more than I would have liked. We made up for it over time. But I should have been more proactive myself in thus the overall communication. Because it's hard when you put distance between yourself and kids. I appreciate that transparency. And, you know, it's something that is definitely top of mind for me as I think about building a business and eventually building a family and, and, and how to navigate those waters. Yeah, I think you, I think the current generation has much better tools for helping with that. We didn't have texting in the same right. way. FaceTime. FaceTime, <laughs> right? I mean, all, all of that, right? Smartphones only came out in the last, right. <laughs> in the last decade. So didn't have any of those. So all of those would have been helpful. I think it's much easier today than it was earlier in my career to actually be able to keep those communications tighter. Absolutely. Now, you recently transitioned from MetricStream. What went into that decision to transition now at this time? And where do you see yourself next? Certainly. So, yeah, after, gosh, you know, almost over 30 years, actually, in the workforce, building companies, et cetera, I stepped down. It was announced in just January uh, 2nd or 3rd of this, this month. And what I would tell you is this was actually something that I had planned for. You know, when I started my CEO job at MetricStream, I started at that point actually planning for my phase two. Remember we talked earlier, I'm a right, planner. Right. <laughs> so, and the, purpose, and the purpose for planning is I wanted to be easy when the time was right to move in phase two to actually move into phase two, which means I had to make sure that things were lined up. So let me explain how I think of phase one of my career and phase two of my career. Phase one of my career was working for other people to achieve my goals. I worked for bosses. I worked for boards, right? I worked for investors. I worked for others. Phase two was when I wanted to be more flexible, not the always on, always on a plane, you know, always available kind of um, role to one where I could choose what I wanted to do, how I did it, and when I did it, but still keeping my hands very much engaged in, in business. So I saw myself in phase two, serving on corporate boards, taking my learning skills, et cetera, and business and bringing it forward to the boardroom. I saw myself advising growing companies and CEOs. I knew I probably wanted to write a book and share some of the lessons, be able to speak and um, give inspiration and thoughts to others. So that was what I wanted to do. So therefore, back when I was 40, I said, well, the first thing I've got to do is figure out about corporate boards. 
And the number one requirement for being on a corporate board is corporate board experience. So I decided, okay, if I want it to be easy when I'm actually ready to do this, I need to get one corporate board now so I can build up years of experience. So that's what I did. So coming into phase two, how did I know it was going to be time to pull the trigger? Well, my husband's been fighting, unfortunately, a cancer for the last six and a half years. And we have been living the mantra of we live life first and we fight cancer second, which is the right way to approach it. But we learned that it's now advanced. And so I said, you know, we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish on the professional side. So I think it's now time to move into phase two. So I can be more flexible. We can do a bit more traveling, spend a bit more time with family, et cetera. And that's what I did. So talked to my board of directors and things back in, gosh, the spring of 2017. And we put a plan in place to do a transition, wanted a smooth transition, find the right person to take the company to the next level. And that's what we did. And now I'm officially in phase two, doing board work, working with some growing companies, and I'm writing a book. Oh, I can't wait. And, you know, your transition, the CEO transition at Metric Stream was recently recognized by Forbes as just the template, the guide for how to do a CEO transition right. So kudos to you and to the entire Metric Stream board on making that happen. Well, thank you. I had a great board and a great team. It's been just a, an honor to have actually had the opportunity to lead that company. Now, you are very active and, you know, passionate around developing more women founders. And I think the way you've done it, again, is so commendable. You've been recognized as one of the most important African-Americans in technology, the most influential African-Americans in technology. And like this is someone who has built from the ground up a company and now you're surrounded by all of these founders. Like, how are you planning to impact them and shape them? You know, that's one, of, that's one of my biggest challenges, and it's a fun challenge. One of the things that I did was to think through, okay, how do I get leverage? Because I don't have time to meet with everybody one-on-one to help them. But I do want to help, and I do want to be able to share lessons learned and strategies that worked. So I actually launched a website, ShellyArshambeau.com, and I have a blog. And on the blog, I'm starting to write and put ideas and thoughts, et cetera, out there. As a matter of fact, uh, for those of you that are interested, indeed go to the blog because I also have a page where it says what's next and I'm actually looking for topics. So tell me what you'd like to hear about. And I want that to be how I interact. I'm also setting up, a think of it as a either a conference call, webinar, something. But I'm looking at how to do that where I can maybe host something every month or so that's more of an open mic ability to find out what people would like to hear about and actually talk and interact. So I'm looking for ways in which I can indeed pass on some of the knowledge and lessons learned, but in a way that's leverageable Mm -hmm. because I do have a special place in my heart for women and for minorities. And I do believe that sometimes it's harder for us to aspire to what we can't see. So I want to be seen. I want people to know that, hey, if I could do it, you can do it. Right. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm trying to walk the talk. You know, I built a website. I got some photos taken for it. I have actually done some, you know, branding work on what this should look like and hired some people around the book stuff that I'm working on. But everybody that I've hired for my phase two project is a woman and or a minority. And that's not an accident. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, they're all millennials because you're the audience. 
that I'm really trying to get to because you're the ones that are in the early stages, you know, to mid stages of, of your career launch. Right. And so I think the words and things that I have to say can be most impactful. So therefore I'm trying to surround myself, support and enable and promote mm-hmm. those folks. So those are the folks that are, that I'm working with on my phase two. I love it. Do you think that founders and, and aspiring entrepreneurs should spend more time trying to build within a company or to work on building what's already gotten funding and, you know, learn through that before venturing out on their own? Well, you know, it's mixed. I, what I will tell you is because we're all different and we all have different strengths. I told you right up front, I'm not the idea person. <laughs> I'm not the person that comes with, here's the brand new big idea that hasn't been tried before. Let's go create it but I am the person that can take ideas and figure out how to actually make them work and build a business. I'm also though, probably a bit more cautious than others. And because I'm more cautious, that's why I've always been very focused on how I improve my odds for success. So I tend not to just jump into a pool and figure out how to swim. I actually go take some lessons. I do some research on the most effective strokes, right? (laughs) And then I get in the pool. So if you are like-minded in that way, then my suggestion is, Work with people who are actually building businesses already. Find out what it's about and try to learn some of the key steps before you launch into your own. It'll save you a lot of mistakes. But that said, if you're the kind of person that is, uh, let me just jump in the pool. I want to be able to figure out swimming faster. And I'm okay flailing and, and, you know, drinking a little bit of water before I get to the edge of the pool, then go for it. We're all different people. So you have to pick the approach that works for you. But no matter which approach you pick, The one thing that I will say is it is important to think about your business strategically and it's important to set the goals. What is your goal? And I don't care what kind of business you're building. You're, you're selling, you know, funky socks. Fine. How many pairs do you actually want to sell? When do you want to get your first customer? You put time to find goals in place so that you can keep yourself honest about how well you're doing or not. But you can keep yourself focused. Determine what needs to be true to then achieve those goals. And then with that plan in place that's time to find, execute by making choices every step that are consistent with your plan. And let me give you a really silly example, but true. Okay. <laughs> by the way, this advice works for personal and or for professional. So let me give you a personal example. I decided that if at all possible, I actually wanted to get married earlier versus later because I wanted to have kids earlier versus later. Okay. All right. So I'm in college. I'm a sophomore in college and I need a new winter coat because I'm in school in Philadelphia at work. (laughs) I go into the outlet and buy a coat. I come back and I model it for my roommate. And it's one of those, you know, double breasted swing coats. So top up tight up top with the big buttons. And then it, you know, swings a little bit out and we twirl, you know, it's, it's really very cute. And Carla says to me, my roommate, well, Shelly, you know, it's a nice looking coat, but it's not all that fashionable, (laughs) which was true. The style was actually a very tailored style at the time. I said, well, I know Carla, but I wanted to be able to wear it when I'm pregnant. (laughs) And she looked at me. I'm 19. I'm 19 years old. Right. I'm 19. She goes, Shelly, you don't even have a serious boyfriend. What are you talking about? Right. Wow. (laughs) But the point was, I knew what I wanted to accomplish. So I had to believe that it was going to happen. Mm. And therefore, every decision and step was all assuming this is going to happen so that the momentum of the universe is behind me. Mm. And I said, I know, 
but a good coach should last, what, five, seven years? Ideally, I want to be pregnant Yep. in that time frame. And you know what? I wore that coat for both my pregnancies. <laughs> That is amazing. That is the best story. <laughs> so you touched a little on, on common mistakes and, you know, having a vision and how to avoid this. Are there common mistakes that you tend to see over and over again by, you know, minority and women founders that, you know, you could just share some best practices right here? Yes. Yeah. So the number one is we fall in love with our product. We fall in love with our product. We spend so much time creating our product and I don't care whether the product is you know, a, a piece of fashion or some hair care product, or it's just information, you know, through like what you do with a podcast or it doesn't matter what the product is. But what happens is we fall in love with the product instead of falling in love with our target market. And over time, since we forget about that target market and we spend too much time on the product, the market moves on and leaves us behind. Because the market is always changing, always changing. So the key is to fall in love with your target market and then figure out what your target market needs as it evolves so that you can stay with your customers as things ebb and flow, et cetera. So fall in love with your target market. Understand them better than anyone else. And you will indeed be able to ensure then that your product, your offer, your service will always be relevant. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, it's all about the cash. You've got to manage cash. More businesses go out of business because they run out of cash than because they had a bad product or had a bad value proposition. So make sure that you are paying attention and you actually understand what you're selling, how much you're selling it for, what your real costs are, both fixed as well as variable, and that you're building all that into your model. And you understand that every time you bring a new product to market or a new service offering, et cetera, that you're pricing it properly and you're getting the right return. So all about the cash. I love that. And then the third piece of advice is listen. And that's a really simple thing to say, listen. But I will tell you, it's significantly harder than you think. You will get advice when you are building your company all the time. And it's easy to brush it off because you're living it every day. You know what is what. But it's really important to keep very open ears and listen to what others are saying. Jot it down, store it away. Then when you're going through your own personal strategic time to to assess how am I doing, read back over what people have been saying. Because sometimes, when I say people, I'm talking customers, I'm talking advisors, sometimes it's vendors, you you just never know. Because usually there's some truth in what people are saying, especially if you hear it over and over again. You really have to listen and, and analyze it. Because again, we fall in love with our products. So it's almost like falling in love with our baby. I mean, our babies are gorgeous. You can't tell me something's wrong with my baby, <laughs> right? I, I, just, I just don't hear it. Even if you say it, I'm able to rationalize it in some way, right? So that's the other thing I would say. Keep, in, keep open ears and listen. Those are so, so important. So thank you for sharing those. Now we're going to transition into the lightning round where you basically just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. All righty. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? A resource that's helped me. I would say Rise Marketing. They have helped me with my website. Awesome. What's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Managing my calendar. Making sure I understand what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it, and jotting it down so I spend my time the way I need to spend my time versus the way others want me to spend my time. (laughs) Number three, what's the best book that you've consumed recently? Oh, gosh. Best book that I've consumed recently is Resonate by Nancy Duarte on basically presenting and speaking effectively, the art of story. Hmm. Number four, what Black woman founded business or startup are you most impressed with right now? Ha ha, sidehustlepro.com. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. Number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are scared of losing a steady paycheck? Take calculated risks. So take a risk. You can always get a job if it doesn't work out, but make sure it's a calculated risk. Don't just jump into something before you've done the work and the research to understand what it takes. I love that. That is the perfect note to end on, Shelly. And what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode? ShellyArshambeau.com. On my website, you have a ways to access me. I'm also on Instagram, Shell Archambault, Twitter, Shell Archambault. So I'm easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. Alrighty, I will link to all of those, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it. And there you have it. This episode was brought to you by FreshBooks. For your free, unrestricted 30-day trial of FreshBooks, visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and enter side hustle pro in the how did you hear about us section. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye.